Larkin Miller has engineered the greatest comeback I've ever seen. Touchdown, Tech! There's the snap. Ball down. Shane swings the leg through. This kick is in the air. It is gone! It is gone! Shane Graham wins it for Virginia Tech. Michael Vick makes a miracle happen in Morgantown. All right, everyone. It is Friday, February 10th. Welcome back to episode two of the Memory Lane podcast. This is Pat Finn, and I will be doing the hosting today. Shout out to Pete, Rob, and Ed. They did a really great job on the first ever Memory Lane pod last week covering the UVA ball on the rim basketball game. Today, we are turning the page into football. And we will be covering the 2009 home victory over the Nebraska Cornhuskers. So uh, today we got Brett Smith. Brett, what's going on? How you doing? Good, man. Honored to be here. Uh, it's 70 degrees right now in February. It's kind of hard to complain, especially on a Friday. So super excited to have Danny on for this. You know, I will say one of the most memorable, game, memorable games ever in Lane Stadium. Without a doubt, Brett Smith from the Locks of Saturday. And then, uh, as Brett just hinted to, we do have a special guest to recap this one. You may still hear Sean McDonough's voice echoing the walls of Lane Stadium. <laughs> Danny Cole is joining the show. Uh, Danny, I know last time we had you on the podcast, it was 2020. We're in the midst of COVID, and you were living in the Steel City. How have you been since? Yeah, what's up, guys? First of all, uh, pleasure to be here. Always love talking Hoties with you guys. I know you're doing great stuff, and it's only it's only a matter of time before you guys keep blowing up and continue to do the great stuff that you're doing. But also, like we're talking about 29, uh, 2009, right? And we're in, in 2023, so it's it's kind of alarming. I feel older by the day, just given my three kids, anyways. And then you throw in this, and it's a little bit of a gut check, man. But um, look, we're, I'm doing great. We were in the Steel City um, last time we did this. Now we're in in sunny Wilmington, North Carolina. Made a bit of a family move and a career move, and so I'm uh, I'm in the Tar Heel State. Just another Hokie infiltrating the, the Tar Heel State. This is the first time we're doing Memory Lane with a guest who played in the game, and I have this written down. Bear with us as we relive <laughs> some of the glory days. So. Uh, First and foremost, Brett, what speaks to you about this game off the top of your head? Well, just personally, I mean, this is like core Virginia Tech, you know, sports for me. You know, I grew up hooky fan, I'm like third generation, and I was in middle school right now. So all I was really thinking about oh, yeah. was still Virginia Tech football. So I, you know, girls, whatever, you know, that came down later, I guess. But, you know, Virginia <laughs> Tech football was what I lived and breathed every single day. Every day of reading the newspaper, every day was on, you know, they didn't have Twitter really back then. Maybe it just launched maybe in 2009, but I was on reading on my dad's tech side on account, all the crazy guys on the message boards and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, for me, this game, you know, was just like a core memory of, you know, growing up a Hokie. That's about right. That's about right. Danny, aside from the obvious reasons, what 
made this game special to you? I think there's there's a um, there's an, what is it? it's, I think it's a Phil Jackson quote, right? It said that the success of the team is the individual. Uh, the success of the individual is the team. If I didn't butcher that, if I got that right, um, I mean, this game's all about that, right? Like I, I think you know, offensively we weren't doing anything all game. And, and frankly, guys, like we wouldn't even be talking about this. We wouldn't have anything to be talking about if it weren't for Tyrod Taylor standing in the pocket, right? Pump faking in the, in the face of Indomitian Sue, dropping a dime on the sideline. And then Darrell Roberts bailing me out at the very end, right? To score the TD, right? Without, you know, uh, teammates like that in a supporting cast and just kind of continuing to grind and fight through it. Um, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be celebrating a memory right now uh, as it, as it pertains to the catch, maybe necessarily. So. Truly a, a, a truly memorable experience. And uh, we'll start off kind of getting in the time machine and talking about the state of the ACC, the state of college football, what was popular at the time in 2009. So we'll start with the state of the ACC. You had quarterbacks like Joshua Nesbitt, who we all know, unfortunately, from that year. Uh, Ja'Cory Harris, who was not what he... Uh, As I advertised. Guess, I guess with uh, with LeBron living up to his legacy, uh, Ja'Cory Harris did not do that. Uh, we'll put that lightly. <laughs> you had Russell Wilson, who was backed up by Mike Glennon, Riley Skinner at Wake Forest, Thaddeus Lewis at Duke, you had Christian Ponder uh, down at Florida State, backed up by EJ Manuel, and Mark Verica up at UVA, uh, just to name a few quarterbacks in the ACC. And then you, you come to Virginia Tech and the state of Virginia Tech football in 2009. We had just won back-to-back titles in 2007 and 2008, and – this was a serious roster. Uh, we were in year three of the Tyrod Taylor era. We had some elite running backs. You know, Ryan Williams broke some records that year uh, as a redshirt freshman with six, uh, 1,655 rushing yards and like almost two dozen touchdowns. David Wilson was in that backfield. Josh Oglesby was in that backfield. Darren Evans was hurt the, that year. You had – an elite receiving core with Darrell Roberts, Jared Boykin, and his massive hands, as uh, ESPN loved to talk about. Danny Cole, uh, following the likes of Eddie Royal, Justin Harper, Josh Hyman, and Josh Morgan uh, in the previous receiver era. And then this team, this team was good at offense. You know, Virginia Tech is always known for the defense and special teams, and this team could score points. Uh, came into the game, or actually finished the 2009 season, ranked 24th in scoring offense at 31.8 points a game. And then on the other side of the ball, just another elite Bud Foster defense. This was the ninth-ranked scoring defense. They only allowed 15.6 points per game. You had guys like Cam Chancellor, J. Ron Hosley, Cody Grimm, Eddie Whitley, Jason Worlds. Davon Morgan, J. Ron Hosley, Guvea uh, Winslow, who's on the staff now, and John Graves. Um, but what, what kind of really sticks out to me from the 2009 season was that this team had the, uh, had the ninth toughest schedule in the country. Um, you know, obviously, you get out of conference games against Alabama and Nebraska, and that's going to put you up there. Um, but it's definitely uh, 
a little different compared to some of the schedules that we've had as of late. We were ranked as high as number four in the polls uh, until those uh, UNC and Georgia Tech uh, October games. And this season concluded with a Chick-fil-A Bowl win over Tennessee in Atlanta. This was a really, really good football team. Brett, any comments on the 2009 uh, campaign? I mean, I'll ask Danny a question. You know, going against that defense in practice every day, I mean, going against the ninth scoring defense, I mean, that had to have helped, you know, playing defense, other defenses in the ACC every week. I mean, having to run across the middle against Cam Chancellor and then getting locked down by Jaron Hosley every week had to make everybody better. There's no doubt about it. I get that question quite often. It's like, what? who is the best cornerback, defensive back that you went against in college? And it's an easy question for me because it's it was my own defense, right? Without a shadow of a doubt, you know, I remember, um, you know, Cam Chancellor and Cam Chancellor's senior year, right? And we'd have the scout practice and the scouts would want to see him come and and show his press press coverage skills. Right. And um, to to, you know, uh, unfortunately, I'd be the guy that he was honing those skills on, you know, from a from a pet press coverage perspective. So I'd get beat up uh, every scout practice. But, yeah, I mean, it was J. Ron and the, the Fuller brothers and just the, the legacy of DBs at VT. Um, there's no, in my opinion, a, a program quite like it, especially during that era of hockey football. So we're going to talk about a little bit more about 2009. Brett and Pat, where were we in our lives in 2009? We know what Danny was doing, but Brett, uh, what was going on over in uh, in the 757? I mean, I kind of said it earlier. I mean, I was in seventh grade. I hadn't even turned 13 yet at 2000. <clears throat> at that game, it was kind of, I think, September, so a month before my birthday. Uh, like I said, I mean, I kind of nailed it. The only non-awkward thing in my life was Virginia Tech football. I was just, that's the only thing I was able to talk to anybody about, you know, I lived and breathed it. I mean, every day I'd be like, dad, what do you think about this? Dad, what do you think about that? You know, I talked to my friends about it or whatnot. So that didn't really care about it like I did, but you know, that's pretty much what was going on. I played lacrosse, you know, but still Virginia Tech football was still always on my mind. I'm right there with you, Brett. I had just, uh, I had just made the freshman soccer team at Del Barton was fired up about that, but was more fired up about the Hokies this year. Um, I had went down to Atlanta with my dad for the Bama game. So I was living it. I was breathing it. I was, you know, the only kid in northern New Jersey who is, you know, wearing a Tyrod Taylor jersey to school every every day. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was me in 2009, just playing soccer and watching the Hokies with my, uh, with my dad. Now – the next question is, Brett, where were you for the game? I was I was at the game. I was on the East Stands. We've always kind of been around like Section 7, 9, like Road BB K, to KK. Like we've always kind of rotated in those areas. Um, and I was there. I remember leading up to the game, I was actually at the Alabama game too in Atlanta. You know, we felt pretty good about this team coming against, you know, we didn't know at the time, but Alabama team that goes on the national championship. You know, yeah. we'll get into – We'll get into the talk about Nebraska and stuff in a little bit. But, you know, this Nebraska team really was no joke. So, I mean, everybody was still nervous, you know, even though having Nebraska come, beating them at their place, you know, thanks to a unsportsmanlike penalty, I guess, on Polini kind of sealing the game. But, you know, everybody was nervous. You know, it was a lot of nervous energy, but it was electric, as Lane always is. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I watched this game in my basement at home with my dad and my brother, and uh, it was awesome. You know, just like uh, the the next week watching against Miami, same spot. Um, it was a fun uh, fun season. So, what else was going on in two thousand nine? The number one song on the charts. I got a feeling by the Black Eyed Peas, which is you know is still overplayed in two thousand twenty three. Um, the number one <laughs> movie in the box office was Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs for September 2009. Can't say I would have uh, predicted that one. And then, Brett, what else was going on uh, from this banner year of 09? The, the swine flu. I didn't honestly, I had forgotten about that. You know, that was like, you know, the pandemic before, like our, the pandemic that just went happy. You know, people thought that was going to be Armageddon then, but they were able to, you know, get that under control a lot more quickly. I know I just remember all like the songs and stuff that came out about it, you know, back then. And then Kanye's we talked about this earlier, Pat, the I'ma let you finish with Taylor Swift, you know, pretty much catapulting Taylor Swift's career to where it is now, even though he didn't think that's what the case was going to be. And then my favorite one, 2009, Farmville launches on Facebook. Danny, did uh, did you did you play Farmville or did Coach Beamer not allow the players to get on Facebook? Yeah, there are a lot of things we couldn't do back then that I think guys can do now. Let's just say that, right? Um, but uh, I feel like I've got a vivid memory of, of like David Wilson dancing to I've Got a Feeling uh, <laughs> yeah. during warm-ups, right, as it would come over like the intercom in the stadium. So it's ingrained in my brain like that along with his abs at the same time <laughs> for the rest of my life. <laughs> so also in September of 2009 – this was week three. So I'm looking at the September 13th, 2009 AP poll. Florida, Texas, USC, Alabama, and Ole Miss made up the top five. And then uh, six through 10 was Penn State, BYU, Cal, LSU, and Boise State. Uh, the rest of the top 15 was Ohio State, Oklahoma, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, RIP. And TCU, uh, 16 through 25, Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, Utah, Nebraska, Miami, Houston, Kansas. Kansas is there. Georgia, North Carolina, Michigan, and Missouri. So, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of common folks in here, but also a lot of these teams have fallen out um, quite a bit. But let's talk about the 2009 season for Virginia Tech. We talked about the Bama game. High hopes for this team. We opened up with number five, Alabama, have an emotional 10-point loss uh, in the Georgia Dome to the eventual national champions, but had the lead going into the fourth quarter and knew that, you know, walking out of that stadium, this team was going to have a great year. We go ahead and beat the brakes off of Marshall the next week, and this is the first taste of David Wilson in Lane Stadium. Brian Williams also, you know, ran for all the guards, but this was the Wilson and Williams show. Uh, both of them went uh, for, I think both of them went for over 150. David Wilson had 162. And then you got number 19, Nebraska, coming into town for week three. And then uh, following that game was the uh, Miami 31-7 to victory over Ja'Cory Harris in the rain, uh, dominating in all three phases of the game. Um, but, Danny, outside of the Nebraska game, which is the yeah. subject of our conversation, what else do you remember about September of 2009? 
You know, I mean, in the context of, I mean, you think about the, I mean, you guys hit it on the head. Like we, we had a lot of talent on that team, but man, the year before was very much a transition year, right? If you think about, especially at the receiver position, when you, you have a flood of receivers going to the NFL, um, you know, and, and we, we start out that year uh, losing to ECU, right, at Bank of America Stadium, um, have, have kind of a wild year, lose to BC and Florida State when Tyrod and Sean and, and Corey Holt came in at the end. Uh, those two, two guys went down with injuries to, to, to making it back to an ACC championship to then win an Orange Bowl, right? Like, I think we came in to that season in, in 09 with a lot of confidence, right? And, and, and we firmly believed that, um, one, the ACC ran through Blacksburg, but two, um, I mean, that, you know, in, any team that was gonna come into Lane Stadium, like good luck, right? Um, and so when, you know, 19 Nebraska comes marching in and, and um, I mean, it was just, you know, those are the matchups that you sign up for, right? Those are the matchups that you come to Virginia Tech and play for, um, you know, on a national stage against nationally prominent programs. Um, you guys are right. I mean, the outcome of the Alabama game was not what we wanted to, um, but a r relatively young team coming out of that with, you know, I don't, you can ar argue all you want about moral victories, but there, there are reasons to kind of hold your head high after coming out uh, and playing Alabama. And I think you look back on that game and you, there's some what ifs and woulda, shoulda, coulda. Um, but, you know, we, we rolled through Marshall and, um, and we're excited about Nebraska coming in into Blacksburg, right? You know, it's a storied program and um, unbelievable scene out there. And we, we've been out there, but, you know, in my mind, it didn't touch Elaine Stadium in Blacksburg. So we were, we were coming in that game just really excited about where we were as a program and, and ready to, uh, to give it all we had to that one. So you got a 3.30 game, September 19th, uh, a top 20 matchup, ABC, Sean McDonough on the call. I think it was Matt Millen alongside him. Brett, who was Nebraska in 2009? Nebraska was – I mean, they were no slouch of a team. I mean, Nebraska and Virginia Tech kind of synonymous, like the fan base in terms of the fan base, kind of the culture, you know. It's kind of how it was. I mean, their defense, number one scoring defense in the country at the time, which is crazy, 10 points a game. I mean, that's on like Georgia 2021 levels, like of defense, you know, 2022 team defense. I mean, also on offense, they had Roy Hillow Jr., who yep. was awesome running back. I mean, then you obviously did Dominican Sue. I mean, everybody knows him. The boy, Will Compton, as true freshman out there playing. And then Prince Mukamara. I mean, great. I mean, high draft pick, great quarterback. And then Rex Burkhead, who had a, long, had a pretty long career in the NFL, too. So, I mean, there were some studs on this. I mean, no slouch studs on this Nebraska team. Yeah, you guys asked me. I'll say, like, you asked me about defensive backs that I've played. And no doubt it's, it's Virginia Tech DBs. But, you know, like, Amukamara was up there in college, you know, what he was doing, his, uh, as physical as he was, the size that he had, he was a tough, he was a really tough DB to go up against. A lot of talent, a lot of talent on that defense, as Brett said, it's funny to go back and look at, you know, CFB reference and see that 
this was the number one scoring defense in 2009. But, you know, mm-hmm. you go ahead and you look down their Wikipedia page and you're like, holy moly, <laughs> they were only giving up 10 a game, three a game, seven a game. So, you know, it all makes sense. And this team, they went 10 and four. Um, they lost in the Big 12 championship game to Texas um, on a literally last-second field goal that, you know, Mac Brown calls the timeout late. Um, they were seconds away from ruining Texas's uh, championship hopes. Obviously, Texas lost to Alabama in the national championship in January. And then uh, uh, this, this Nebraska team shuts out Arizona in the Holiday Bowl 33-0. So 10-4, and four, this team spread said no slouch. And, uh, yeah, what a, what a time and what a team to come to Blacksburg. So as we talk about the actual game, there's not that much to talk about. You know, I think, I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, this is probably one of the most boring 58 minutes to ever be played in Lane Stadium. Would you agree or disagree with that, Danny Cole? 100% agree with that. Yeah. I mean, we just couldn't. It was frustrating on the offensive side of the ball. Right, they were very good on defense, but you still have high expectations for yourself. And it was just a, it was a slow grind of a game where you you pick your head up and you're, you know, down fifteen ten with virtually no time to go. Right, and you're like, you know, kind of, we need to make something happen, and it needs to happen soon. Um, but yeah, I mean really boring game <laughs> about yeah i want to say I'm pretty sure, yeah i'm pretty sure what happened was that uh you know we, we started out seven nothing and the only reason we really got down the field was because Dyrell roberts brought us down at the 28 yard line uh on the opening kick um so i'm gonna read through the uh the drive summary real quick we had a rushing touchdown from ryan williams in the first quarter first first quarter and then Nebraska punt, tech punt, Nebraska field goal, tech punt, field goal from Nebraska, tech punt, field goal, field goal, field goal, <laughs> halftime. Nebraska's up 12 to 10 at half. Uh, and then we got punt, punt, interception. This was a uh, Cam Chancellor pick. Punt, 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 punt. <laughs> Brutal. Nebraska hits a field goal. Tech turns it over on downs with 2.26 to go. And at this point, you know, this is where people start heading for the exits. Brett, when you're when you're standing in the in the East stands, <laughs> folks were, were heading towards uh, you know, lot one. Yeah. I mean, people, you know, were definitely were like, uh, I think that's it. You know, there's definitely there definitely were people heading to the stands, no doubt. I mean, I've been kind of stayed tried and true, you know, staying throughout the whole thing and it definitely pays off, um, as we'll talk about in a minute. But, uh, oh yeah, I definitely remember that. Then I'm rewatching the game recently. That you know, it was not a good look, not looking good for the last two minutes of the game. Yeah, I think um, you have to give an oh shit moment of the game nomination to fourth and nine from our own 46 with two minutes and seven seconds left. And Tyrod throws an incomplete pass to Dyrell Roberts. And all of a sudden we're punting, or we don't even get to punt. They're getting the ball in our territory with two minutes left. You think this game is over. And then all of a sudden, three and out, and we get the ball back. 
uh, at our own 25 yard line. And then what happens? Well, we're actually going to do something fun here. Pete did it uh, with the gang on the last podcast. So if you could allow me, I'm going to play the clip. Under a minute and a half to go. No timeouts for Virginia Tech. They need to go another 84 yards to win the game. Taylor looking desperately. Now throws it has deep. Has a man open. Unbelievable. Oh, Danny Cole all the way out of bounds at the three. He did not get in. Like we said, 58 minutes. It doesn't matter. It comes down to right now. I think we have to change the oh shit moment of the game to that one right there. <laughs> Second and four, and all of a sudden we're down at the three-yard line. Uh, Brett, what is your reaction to this play? I mean, I was on like the verge of tears, to be honest. Like when I was third, you know, 12 years old, I remember my dad, uh, he was standing next to me. And I remember the ball, no, I'm not even kidding. The ball just left Tyron's hand. It's like going, I mean, you know how his that throwing motion he had, just the flick of the wrist, it's just a dime going in the air. And dad, I just remember him just yelling, holy crap, that he's open. And we're like, don't, he's like, everybody's like, it, you couldn't hear a pin drop when that ball was in the air. There are days where it feels like the ball is still in the air, right? Yeah. Just, it was like I mean, that ball was floating. Yeah. yeah that, that ball was floating. So Jared Boykin wrote in. And he said, which wide receiver, which wideout had a missed assignment on that play? That's awesome. I think it was Boykin. It was either Boykin or Dyrell. They were supposed to run a dig route, and I don't think they ran a dig route on the backside. It, yeah, <laughs> that's, it had, pretty, it had, that's pretty funny. I'm guessing it wasn't you. <laughs> No, man, like I, you know, the funny thing about that one is, um, I mean, we were obviously in a two minute drill and I went to the far side, the bottom of the screen and my, my route was an out route, right? Like it was a, it was a nine to 12 yard out route. I mean, we know the outcome of what that would have been, but in a cover two shell, you take it up, right? And, and, and how often do you practice that exact, exact same thing, right? In, in Nebraska would play that more often than other teams, but you, you know, you get a cover two shell and you take it out and up. And there are really two things that typically happen, right? Like they either hit you right in the window for maybe a 15, 20 yard gain before the safety comes over the top, or you, your, your job really is to take that safety, that near safety and distract him, right? Get him out of the way and take him out of the play, but because Tyrod pumped it, Hanlon bit on that, right? So he was playing a little bit more shallow than he should have been. So he didn't really honor or respect the outside go. Um, so, it, you know, it's hard to put it in in other football terms, but it's a, it's a route that I, I would say you run with the intent of being open, but the likelihood of, of you being open is low, just given the nature and the context of of the situational football and for him to pump and then see me come open like that is like, that's great. That like, that is great caliber quarterback play. Honestly. Well, we were super happy about it. And, you know, up until this point, this game was an absolute snoozer. 
and all of a sudden uh, it's first and goal uh, with just around a minute left. But I got to ask you, Danny, all these years later, <laughs> since we're having so much, so many issues moving the ball, did anyone give you a hard time for not getting in the end zone? Uh, who didn't give me a hard time for not getting in the end zone? Or like that, you're like you're in the weight room, uh, you know the. You know, the, the Monday after the game and like you can joke about it right and, and you know why you know you got caught at the two and all that kind of stuff and guys in the locker room giving you a hard time but man you I, you replay that in your mind a thousand times right and things that you would have done a little bit differently if I was a few edges a few inches from the further away from the sideline if I hadn't turned around like I mean because very quickly with the following play, Tyrod getting sacked in the quarter, quarterback keeper, it's, that's a very different play call set at that point in the game. You're, not, you're, you're long first and goal or second and goal, right? You're, you're, um, the, the amount of plays that you can pull from and you can call becomes very limited. And so like when, what went from like a, you kind of like a euphoria moment where we're like knocking on the door to we actually need to score the football or – you know, all of that for nothing, really. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, I, I wish I would have just put it in right away. And, but I, I had to provide a little bit more drama at the end, right? It wouldn't have been yeah. nearly as interesting. I mean, <laughs> I'd much rather have two epic moments than one epic moment. And, uh, you know, just John, <laughs> John McDonough's call, Danny Cole all the way. And then he says at three, he did not get in. And, you know, it's 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 the highest of highs met by the lowest of lows, but also just, you know, such a such a high drama uh, moment. So you mentioned this. We get first and goal at the three and then Tyrod is sacked for an eight yard loss. And all of a sudden we have a new oh shit moment of the game. It's it's third down from the 11 yard line. And that end zone becomes further and further away. You get second down. Tyrod rolls out right. Uh, I think he rolled out right and ended up throwing it out of bounds. And nine more ticks roll off the clock. And then all of a sudden, it's third down, third and 11 from uh, their third and goal from the 11 yard line. And then roll clip. This Nebraska defense has played valiantly all day. One colossal breakdown, but now they're going to cover it up with a stand in the final minute. Taylor, design, roll to the left, now comes back to the right. Waving receivers around, nobody open, running out of time, finally throws, and it is caught! Touchdown, Darrell Roberts! Tyrod did it, Mikey. Tyrod did it. Yeah, I think one of my favorite, like, moments out of that clip is you can just see, like, Tyrod had just given everything. He's got his hands helmet off. He looks like he's about to puke, and Beamer just got his hand on him. Just, like, one more play. We got it. One more play. You know, that's, like, one of my favorite moments. Yeah, I mean, that's just, like, it's so remarkable, honestly. You know, that, that play, him extending that play, Darrell catching that ball, you know, 
I, I think one of the first things I said to Dyrell back in the locker room was just like, thank you, right? Like, thank you, you <laughs> saved what could have been a much different experience for me. <laughs> like, team aside, losing aside, like, you know, I can breathe a little bit easier these days because he showed up, right? Those, those guys just showed up and like, um, you know, it, it, it's a microcosm of like bigger things, you know, in, in that program and in those days and in that era of, of football um, in Blacksburg where, you know, you just, you can count on the guys around you. And it was, um, it was pretty cool to see him come up with that play at the end. I was exhausted too. So like I was running out of gas. So he was really only the, the only option at that point anyway. I mean, I, I'm just, I kind of feel my heart beating pretty fast right now just hearing you talk about it, you know, even though it was 13 years ago. Uh, such an exhilarating moment as a player, I'm sure, and definitely uh, as a fan. And then 21 seconds left on the clock. Um, you know, Zach Lee throws an interception of Scott Carmichael, and it's curtain, and thank goodness, and Lane Stadium can exhale. And all of a sudden uh, – the fans start storming the field and crowding around Coach Beamer and Holly Rowe. And I remember Coach Beamer was getting swarmed and he had to shove some folks who were crowding up on Holly Rowe. And he was visibly like angry, like pushing people out of the way, um, which is a pretty funny clip. Uh, but what was the locker room like after that game? Yeah, much. He's just like so authentic to who he is and, just won a huge game, fans running on the field, but like, like for him, like the buck had to stop somewhere and he had to like call, you know, call out those, uh, those rowdy fans there that were getting a little too close. But man, I mean, just think of like w one of the best like sports feelings that you can imagine, right? I mean, it, it's one thing to sit there in a locker room after a win, um, going, you know, all the highs and lows of a normal game, and then you factor that in. Um, it just, it just continued to kind of bring us tighter together. Um, it's one of those, it's one of those things that's like, you think about in, in not only sports, but in life, and it's, it, you say it a lot, and then, and then you see it in moments like this, but it's just that kind of continue to play till the final whistle has blown, right? Um, you're going to have ups and downs, you're going to have moments and seasons where, you know, I, I'm not really sure what's going to happen here, but I'm just going to move forward one step in front of, foot in front of the other. I'm going to trust those, those around me um, and give it everything we got, you know, and it was one of those situations um, that we, we were fortunately on the, the receiving end of it um, too. And I, I got to say this too, because like, I don't know if you guys have ever interacted with Nebraska fans, but they are some of the most gracious fans you'll ever meet. You know, when we went to Nebraska and we beat them in Lincoln, they were thanking us for coming and visiting their stadium. Like th that's a good, it's noteworthy in all this, like, like class act from, I mean, you know, maybe there were individual experience to tell me otherwise, but as a whole, um, pretty, pretty cool to see how they responded uh, in, in the, the couple of times that we played them. Yeah, I think there's like, like I was saying earlier, there's like a mutual respect, I think, for state schools and, you know, big, like, 
tough nose, old school football, you know, a lot of history. So I think, you know, I think there's definitely mutual respect between Nebraska and Virginia Tech, and there always will be. Yeah, that's for sure. No, it's definitely um, this top top notch, top class program out there. So, so Danny, uh, last question about this game, and then we have uh, we have one letter for the lunch pail or letter from the lunch pail for you, and then uh, we can let you go here. But we got to hear about the celebration. You know, what, how did the team celebrate this game? Like what was downtown like, like, you know, what was happening after this Nebraska win in Blacksburg? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, um, it, it, it was wild, right? Like, I mean, I, I think I kind of still like looked like the punter or the kicker, right? So I could have had an opportunity to blend in, but I'm pretty sure we, we took a, a stop to, um, a few of the establishments downtown, you know, we, we, um, we hung out with some of the more senior guys on the um, the team, and and we we uh, we had a we celebrated right, and then we got right back to work on Monday. I'll put it like that. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'll tell you right now, I don't think you guys partied too hard because you went out there and beat the brakes off of Miami. So there was no uh, no hangover from the Nebraska celebration. That's for sure. Yeah, it's kind of it was one of those. I mean, like celebratory, but also very relieving too you know um which is exhausting in its own its own right so um no we uh we celebrated as a team like we typically did um and then right back at it so our letter from the lunch pail comes from grant watson he says what was the best piece of advice that coach beamer had ever given you oh man it's easy um you know he it's, it's take care of the little things and the big things will come. I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard that a million times, but you know, he had it peppered all over our facilities. There wasn't a day probably that went by that, that coach didn't say that. Right. And you think about the success that he's had and the run that he's had. And, and it's so true, right? Like he preached, um, he preached going to class, right? He preached all the little things. And if you continually do those, the wins will come, right? Like if you, if you continue to take care of the day in and day out, he trusted in his coaches around him. He trusted in his recruitment, the development of players, um, you know, the community around us. And, And so, you know, that's something that man, I've now in the corporate world. And if I get a chance to, to pepper that into to anything that I'm doing on a daily basis or can, can share with my, my children. Like, that's it. It's, it's a pretty simple saying, but uh, it's ingrained in my brain and very thankful um, to have him as an example uh, of a coach, of a mentor, of a friend. Um, uh, he's, he's as good as they come and you guys know that. So. Could not agree more and definitely have heard that, a lot, and I know that uh, it resonates with everyone uh, who he has come in contact with and has made significant impacts uh, on their lives and, and all of Hokie Nation. So, Danny, we can't thank you enough for being the first ever guest on Memory Lane. I really appreciate the time, and hopefully we'll see you up in Blacksburg here sometime soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and get back this year, guys, with the kids. It's been a little bit more difficult than I'd like, but definitely hit you up if I'm back. Um, appreciate you having me on. You guys are doing cool stuff. Just keep it going. Um, enjoy listening to y'all. Absolutely. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Danny. Thanks, guys.